<laughs> All right, we're recording now. Excellent. Rob Estorino, candidate for governor, former Westchester County executive, elected twice in a uh, in a Democratic area. He uh, ran against Governor Andrew Cuomo in 2014. Uh, Mr. Estorino, thank you for coming here on uh, uh, Talking Saratoga today. Dan and Robin, it's good to be with you. I love Saratoga. It's one of my favorite places in New York, it truly is. I love that the village feel there and the racetrack. And it's a, it's a beautiful place that you live in. Well, thank, thank you, you so much. We don't we don't often get a lot of love from uh, candidates um, on your level, and it really means the world that you would take some time to do local media like this. It's uh, it's we're we're very grateful. The love to come is in January when I get elected and sworn in. Excellent. <laughs> I, Excellent. I, I met you in Saratoga um, at a, on North Broadway at a Kathy Marchione fundraiser. Oh, okay. <laughs> Back in the day, huh, Dan? Yeah, yeah, you, you, you know, you've been to 3,000 fundraisers since then, so of course you remember that one. I remember that. <laughs> no, I do remember the Kathy, Kathy Marchione one, I do, yep, okay. and school, you, by the way. You were just telling me, you remember Dan too, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's, um, let's just hop right into kind of the news of the day, because that's impossible to ignore uh, the significance of the last 24 hours and the two decisions that have come down from the Supreme Court. Yeah. And so before we get into the local and regional questions that we have for you, I just wanted you to take your time and let us know what your opinion is on the rulings pertaining to reproductive rights and, and with gun control. Well, uh, let me change the phraseology for a second on sure. gun control and make it criminal control, because that's, in my view, really what it is. And we're not controlling the criminals in New York. Uh, certainly uh, with this sort of leftist agenda that's taken hold. And unfortunately, illegal possession of a gun is the first charge that they drop when somebody is arrested. And so they're talking tough about people who have a Second Amendment right and the good people who actually go through the process, get their permits, go through their background checks, and are, are having a gun for their own purposes and being responsible. And that the criminals who are running around are on no cash bail getting out the next day or, or by lunchtime. Again, these charges are being dropped. They're emptying out our prisons. Um, they're defaming and defunding cops and cutting, you know, resources. So we've got it backwards, I think. You know, everything that the, the state has done, like the SAFE Act, for instance, that was supposed to tell, you know, everybody this will never happen again. That's what they were told. Uh, Cuomo would say back in 13 and 14. And we know, unfortunately, you know, anytime something like this happens, it's, it's a rush to do something. The problem is, though, everything that we've done has not worked because criminals, by their very nature, could care less about gun-free zones or whether or not they should get a pistol permit or what the law is. They're intent on doing something. Um, and unfortunately, it's the it's the legal gun owners who stand in line, do the right thing, who are always kind of penalized more and more for the actions of the bad people. So, um, you know, I, I I don't think what they're doing is going to do anything other than, again, take the rights away of people. Things like micro stamping. We don't even have the technology to do that. Uh, raising the age to 21 sounds good. The problem is federal courts in california have already found it to be unconstitutional so they knew that when they did it but they did it just to say hey look we did something may i ask you a question Mr. i'm sorry to interrupt but do you think that diet taking repealing the safe act even though it might not have accomplished everything it was set to accomplish 
is a step in the right direction? Or do you think that identifying the problems that still exist and building I, I off think of uh, the SAFE Act has done nothing and it won't do anything, in my opinion. Uh, that's been proven, unfortunately, with the explosion of crime throughout New York. And of course, the, unfortunately, the mass shooting in Buffalo. Um, but things like if we're going to have a red flag law, then what we should include in those are um, criminal records. Obviously, that's there. But things like mental health records and juvenile records, that will at least give a complete picture uh, with the background check on whether or not a gun should be allowed to be sold. And, and mental health, we are in a crisis in mental health. I can tell you personally, I've had to deal with family members. Um, I know many people who have got caught in the system that they can't even get the help that they need. Uh, this governor and the previous one, Cuomo, they've cut psychiatric funding, they've cut beds, they've cut institutions. And yet, um, you know, there's, they're saying we've got to deal with mental health, but we're not. So it's a complicated issue. I don't want to make it sound like it's very easy. No, but one thing that I, we do know is that what we've been doing has not worked. Two more quick follow-ups on that. Sure. Do you think there's some futility to doing anything as a state when really, if every state has different gun control measures, nothing is going to change unless we have something at a federal level that's done? I mean, is there some futility to states doing their own, passing their own legislation? Well, I do think there should be reciprocity. And I do think that the Second Amendment uh, ruling that came out by the Supreme Court uh, was an important one. And it basically said, yes, states do have the right to have a licensing procedure. However, what they don't have the right to do is just indiscriminately pick and choose who gets and who doesn't. That sets up a class system. And, um, and, and we see in New York where people wait for, forget months, they wait for a year or two to get their license. And, and, and then again, a judge is going to say, well, you don't, you do. The, the, the burden of proof has to go to the state on this constitutional issue. And they have to prove why in a unique circumstance, somebody who passes their background check, fills out their permits, are not entitled to get it as opposed to the other way around where you who have the constitutional right have to prove to the state why it's worthy of you getting it. That's the background and that that's what the Second Amendment is there for. But that's also why the Supreme Court ruled the way they did on New York case. I, 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 I was somebody, and pardon me to interrupt, I was somebody that decades ago was put in that position. I was approved for a pistol permit, but unless I was going hunting or tar target shooting, I could not leave the house with it which was right. the absurdity of it. I went through a lengthy bit. What people don't realize is that's like a six-month background investigation. They they interviewed my ex-girlfriend. That's how yeah. detailed it was. That's and correct. And yet, at the end of the day, I wasn't allowed to leave the house with, with, with the gun. That's but, right. But and the other thing, Dan, so I'm a, I'm a concealed carry permit holder. I do have a, a gun. But let's say I wandered from the Westchester border into New York City on the, in the Bronx. Before this ruling, I was a felon if that happened. Imagine that. And, and, and criminals could care less. So this this leveled the playing field and put the burden on the government, not on the individual who has that right under the Constitution. So my second quick follow up for you is when we talk about mental health, which I think is sometimes can be like a real distraction because we end up talking about mental health and we all agree that there need to be more resources in the mental health area. But it tends to kind of divert the conversation and, and nothing seems to get accomplished. To me, I have four young children. The people who spend the most time with my children are their teachers and their educators and their school. 
And so I feel like if our schools had more resources and we had more eyeballs on our children in school, smaller class sizes, more school psychologists, SROs in every school, that would help identify the problem before it got to a level of violence. Is that something you would agree with? I do. And I'll tell you why. And we did it in Westchester. Uh, we gave money from the county. I was county executive in Westchester for eight years. And we provided um, some funding and school resource officers for the schools who did want it. Um, I, I think one of the things that is missing from this is funding. And I think federally this will happen uh, to harden our schools, to make sure there is one ingress and egress so you can have a system. Uh, of safety in place. You look at where these shootings happen, they do not happen in urban schools where oftentimes these urban schools have metal detectors, one point in and out, they have police officers in the school, they're close to police departments. Where they happen, of course, is in rural areas or suburban areas where it's wide open campuses. Obviously, a gun-free zone does not mean it's a force field. It just means law-abiding citizens say, oh, oh, I got to leave my gun in the car or at home. And then the criminal says, this is perfect. Nobody's going to be able to fire back. So um, you're right. I do think we do. And in Westchester, we had something called youth mental health uh, first aid, basically. And we, we provided on a county basis after consultation with psychologists and, and others, how to train coaches, parents, teachers, religious um, to spot the warning signs in kids who are going to need help and to, to get them that help, because you're right, that that's where they spend a lot of time. And I do think SROs, sometimes people think, okay, you just want the good guy with a gun in a school when we know that's not really what I want for my SRO. SROs are trained to spot these problems in kids yeah. and not just be there to be punitive. So that's correct. Um, that is that is great to hear. Um, moving on to reproductive rights. It's been a rough day for some of us ladies out there, many of us. Um, would love your opinion on Roe v. Wade being um, overturned. Well, again, what happens is this goes to the states. Um, New York is obviously a very blue state uh, with pretty solid majorities of Democrats in both the House and Senate, uh, in, the, in the Assembly and the Senate. It is uh, the law in New York in 2019. They passed it. It codified but I do think most people on either side would agree, and I know most pro-choice people agree with this too, that the abortion laws in places like New York have gone so far, so extreme, where in New York, you literally can have an abortion up to the moment of birth if you can find a doctor that would do it, and, and some will, uh, basically I, for any reason. And I, most people I, are not in favor of something. So I don't I, know. I don't know if that's true, but it okay. is true. It is true. The definition of health is not defined in in the code, so you can, for for a variety of reasons, uh, now most people, thank God, won't do that, uh, but some will. And I think most people say, you know, after the first trimester or certainly viability, uh, most people are uncomfortable and don't believe in that. I think we can have a reasonable discussion in a state like New York on where the line should be drawn and, and some reasonable restrictions. But I also think we should go to the other direction as well, provide funding um, for people who need prenatal care, who need care after the birth, um, pregnancy care centers. Those are kind of things I think we should also be helping out. You know, unfortunately, the vast majority of abortions, over 75 percent, are, are by low-income women who feel that they have no other option. 
And I think if we provide those options, they might make a different choice, a choice that they really you know, don't want to have to make. So I do think we should have a, a discussion in, in New York, but the, the realism is abortion will be legal in New York um, and, and not in jeopardy of being taken away. There are some other states where it, it might or there would have bigger restrictions. New York, I mean, logically speaking, is not going to be one of them. Well, I, I may not agree with everything you said, but I, I do agree with reasonable discussion. So yeah. I'm a big fan of reasonable discussion all yes. around. Dan, me, go ahead. Uh, segue off of that, you, you touched on it. You said the uh, Democratic majority in both houses of the legislature. Uh, this is a you know two uphill battles for you, uh, at least from my perspective, of both the primary and the general election. If, if you beat the odds and suddenly you're governor in January, how do you work with a legislature that, let's face it, is, is not changing? Both houses are going to be Democratic for a long, long time. How would you as governor uh, be able to get anything done uh, consistent with your platform? So I beat the odds in Westchester in 2009. And for people who don't know, Westchester is three to one yeah. Democrat. That's a tough one. That's a real badge of honor right there. But yeah. And look, I, you know, I focused on what really mattered. If you remember 09, Obama had gotten elected. So the Democrats controlled everything and um, the bank crisis. So we were in a recession and people were really concerned as they are today about being able to provide for the family or whether we're going to lose their job or afford anything. And that's the discussion most people are having right now, along with crime around their kitchen tables and with their friends. And I think we're definitely going to pick up. I will win this race. It is one of those political earthquake years like it was in 09 for me to get elected there. And I, I think most people want some balance. And I've been saying that this is going to be the revenge of the normal people this year, that you know, people of all stripes are being like, look, enough of this cancel culture nonsense of screaming and, you know, not everyone is a racist if you don't agree with somebody. And, you know, all these kind of things that add up, including the crime and the inflation and the economy. And that's where people are going to be like, look, we need some balance, some checks and balances. Um, how would I get things done? Well, I had a county board full of Democrats as well for my whole eight years. They had the majority. But I planted the flag. And I said, we're not raising spending and we're not raising taxes, period. And we didn't. And in fact, we cut the county property taxes. We kept the budget at $1.8 billion the entire eight years. That fiscal sanity allowed businesses to stay and grow and people to get a breather. And, and then we worked on other things together we, we accomplished. Like I mentioned before, the youth mental health um, first aid, as we were talking about, and, and many other things. We had a, an initiative with at-risk fathers who had fallen away from their families and kids. Those were important things. And, you know, so we worked well together, even though we disagreed at times. And, you know, the budget process alone, the governor has an extraordinary amount of power to get things done. Um, and Andrea Stewart-Cousins, who is the Senate leader, she and I served together in the Westchester County Board of Legislators. We've known each other a long time. We're friends. Doesn't mean we're going to agree on everything, but we can sit down, have a drink and say, look, how do we hash this out? Follow-up question to that. You mentioned um, your success in Westchester as, you know, part of that was connecting with Black and Hispanic voters. Mm -hmm. uh, what What is it about your platform and you and your messaging that connects with Black and Hispanic voters? Primero, yo hablo español. First, I speak Spanish. So <laughs> that's great. That's helpful. Well done. Well played. Well played. Yeah, I think that, that definitely helps. And you know, I won the Hispanic vote outright in my races, which is amazing. We won about 25% of the black vote. And that's because I went everywhere. 
I, I went to all nooks and crannies of Westchester with the same message. I went to churches. Uh, I went to synagogues. You know, I went everywhere because I've always had a feeling like if they don't hear your message, you know, if they don't know anything about you, but all they've been hearing is, oh, my God, bad, bad Republican, blah, blah, blah. You know, the whole right. talking points. <laughs> um, you know, why would they why would they vote for you or. I'm a big believer showing up, smile, shake hands, and we've got a lot of things in common that we can talk about first, and then we can deal with the harder stuff later. And, yeah. and that builds bridges, um, and that's how we won. And we overperformed in very democratic areas, which is what we need to do statewide and what we will do in November. That's Robin. If I could ask you to rewind, we, you know, these Supreme Court decisions were so fresh, they're hours old and so forth. We want to lead with that. But I can rewind a little bit here. Can you give us your 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 stump speech, your 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 platform, your you know, kind of in a somewhat with with some brevity, your your vision? Why why should we'll focus on Republicans? That's in a few days. Why should Republicans uh, uh, vote for you on primary day? My main opponent is Lee Zeldin, who was a state senator in Albany, and he was with the majority with Dean Skelos when they when they ruled the roost. And unfortunately, it was the go along, get along crowd. It was all dysfunctional. It was corruption swirling around uh, the state capitol. And and Governor Cuomo had his way. He told those guys how to vote. And they said, yes, tell me when. So Lee Zeldin voted for all the Cuomo budgets. He was a reliable yeah. vote. And I think that just kept us on the wrong path. You know, we needed we needed to change course, which is why I ran against Cuomo in 14. I won Saratoga County and I won the North Country and, and the Capital District. And um, and my message was then what it is now. We have to slow down spending, reverse course. Otherwise, we're going to have a, a continuated um, continuation of, of an outflow of people. Um, and yeah. we're losing people. We're losing family. We're losing money. We're losing businesses. That's indisputable. So what I did in Westchester is what I will do in, in New York. And, you know, I keep saying help is on the way. Help is on the way, folks. Uh, January of, when I take office. Speaking of business, um, I my husband has his own business in upstate New York. I'm a lifelong New Yorker. Uh, being a small business owner in New York State is brutal. It's absolutely crushed. brutal. We're getting yeah. crushed. And so what steps would you take to not only help support the small businesses that exist throughout New York State already, but also start attracting business back to New York? Yeah, well... The way you will track businesses back to New York and keep those that we have and let them grow is is not easy, but it has to be done. It's what we did in Westchester. You have to cut taxes. And the only way you can cut taxes is if you stop spending like they're spending. To put it in perspective, the budget went from $178 billion to $220 billion in two years. That is yeah. insane. And those bills are going to come due. And you know who they're going to come after. It's always the middle class and small businesses yeah. that end up paying the freight. So we, what we have to do is reduce income tax levels, which are the highest in the country, corporate taxes, which, of course, affect income and corporate affect small business owners. We have to eliminate the estate tax, which affects our small businesses as they try to plan forward and, and send it to their kids uh, and our farms. They're all affected by this. Um, as well as property taxes. It's not easy, but I can tell you I did it. And it takes a lot of work, a lot of guts, and you got to stand firm because you know it's right. What we do know, whether people acknowledge it or not, 
is the direction that we're going in now, we are going off a cliff, period. And in order to pull back and to not have people flee to Florida or the Carolinas, uh, we need to show them that we can be responsible again and that they're going to get a break. It's one of the reasons why, I mean, it may not affect you, but things like speed cameras, red light cameras, congestion pricing plan for New York City, all of these are nickel and diming the average New Yorker who is already fed up and can't afford it to begin with, and they just feel crushed on all sides. So the regulations in New York, you know, as a small business, yeah. New York State is like the predator and business to them is the prey. That is not how the relationship should be. It should now, be they help, they assist, and and you make money. God bless you. What <laughs> it is now is they want your money and they want you out of business. It is so backwards and it is so destructive. It is difficult for someone like me too, who who leans more left. I would describe myself as a, a moderate Democrat. Mm -hmm. I, I want to be able to be fiscally responsible, but also provide the services that you know people in need need to survive and exist as Americans, whether that's in our public school system, social, social services and whatnot. Do you think there's enough, I mean, I think the answer is probably yes, but is there enough waste in our current budget to be able to do what you're describing and not affect the services that people rely on and need to um, you know, survive in this, in this state? There's no question. I cut hundreds of millions of dollars out and inherited a $165 million deficit on that $1.8 billion budget that I, that I took over in Westchester yeah. and um, nobody complained. In fact, we put some more money into some programs and social services because we, we knew people were struggling. But that doesn't mean our dollars can't be accounted for or that the programs can't be accountable. If we're just wasting money, we're hurting more than we're helping. So I, I do believe very strongly in, in leaders need three body parts. You need a head because what we're doing is complex. You've got to be able to lead, explain and, and know what you're dealing with. You need a heart because there are a lot of people who do need help. Again, that doesn't mean we just throw money away um, and keep throwing money at a problem that's never being fixed. It means we actually go after the problem and help those in need. And then the third body part, which we can't find anymore uh, oftentimes, is a spine. Because mm. I can tell you when the winds get strong in your face, it's easy to, to cut and run or, or become a jellyfish, which we've seen. That cannot happen. And I know because I, I've been through these battles. When you take a pencil out of the budget, you know, they start screaming, oh, my God, you're killing kids. You're killing everybody. Th that's not the truth. And you've got to know that we're, we are morbidly obese as a state right now. The only way we're going to get better and for people to survive is if we get back to the basics and do the basics well and let people flourish. That's not happening right now. I, I might I have, have to borrow question, that head, um, heart, and spine line if I if I run again for office. I might have to borrow that one from you. <laughs> you got to use it. Thank you. If I could jump in, because uh, um, Adam Israel, who could not make it, he's our he's our third uh, co-host on this podcast. He had a question about landlords. They've taken it hard during COVID. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe uh, arguably uh, New York State went too far in in uh, lifting the eviction uh, laws and so forth. What will you do as governor for for landlords? that they don't get stuck with the bills without any income coming in. Um, it has been so uneven and unfair to property owners. Uh, we have a system in this country that's called a contract and contracts need to be obeyed. Otherwise we have no law. 
And, um, and basically the state kind of just ripped up contracts and said to anybody, yeah, don't worry about it. You can just pretend there's a pandemic relief that you need, whether your ability to pay or not. And, um, and by the way, we're going to give you no rent increases, even though you have real estate taxes and a mortgage to pay and capital improvements to make. If we don't have that balance, everything is going to, to collapse. The ecosystem collapses. And by the way, real estate and landlords are going to collapse because nobody's going to invest. And the state has already basically said, we want to take over all the buildings. New York State, there's a movement in the state and in New York City to take private property and let the state run it. They have been an abject failure at doing that. And that is not what we should yeah. be doing in, a, in an open capitalistic society because it has failed everywhere. So um, we got to get back to our rent laws and and the balance between property owners and, and tenants. It, it, it seems like a lot of the social contracts that we all took for granted in, in this country have kind of gone to shit, excuse yes. my language. Yes. Like you can, you know, we see people just walk into stores, drug stores, right. grocery stores, and, and walk out with stuff like it's like it's no big deal. Yep. And and I know that crime and safety are really high on everyone's list in terms of their concerns. And in New York State, the bail reform has been especially frustrating in the sense that I understand some of the ways in which we were incarcerating people and holding them in jail for minor offenses would literally derail their entire life and Correct. were unreasonable. I agree with but, that. I'm glad. The, but taking away um, judges' ability to mm -hmm. put people on bail because they are a threat to society has also been stripped away. How do we get back and find a balance here? Uh, so, you know, when someone is arrested for some vicious crime, they aren't just immediately released on the streets again. We have to get rid of no cash bail and get back to the basics, but we can start all over again. The original intent, as you said, I think had merit. You know, I don't want somebody rotting away in jail. I don't yeah. want somebody's career or livelihood or family to be destroyed because they made one bad mistake, um, nonviolent, and and they're going to pay the price forever. That That's a burden on society as well as the ruination of somebody's life. So I get that. The problem is we've got all these career criminals that are getting away with murder. They're getting away yeah. with everything. Literally. And we've gone yeah. so far. We've got to get back to what worked. And that means respecting law enforcement, giving them the tools that they need. And, um, and, and that's where I would start because we've gone so far left that uh, we're unrecognizable and people are in jeopardy now. You know, and it's not just a city thing. Yes, crime is exploding in Troy and Albany and, and in our major cities around the state. But also it means, you know, women especially don't feel safe going places on their own or with their kids. It means that that car alarm that's going to go off in the middle of the night or somebody might, you know, knocking on your door at two in the morning or trying to break in. All of those things matter. And yeah. and it's happening. And it's like people don't some people don't care. We should if we don't if we don't get crime under control. We're, we're going to lose society. We are never going to get New York State back on track because nobody's going to want to live here or invest here. I, I appreciate that. Because, yes, go ahead, Dan. Okay, I, uh, Robin, I, I wanted to switch to some local Saratoga issues. I know, and I know. I, I don't know how much time Mr. Astorino has. I know we've been on for quite a while already. Do you have time for another question or two? Yeah, uh, well, well, another question or two is fine, sure. Okay. Okay. 
Um, let me switch to Saratoga Springs. Uh, you may have heard we have a horse track here. In fact, we have two. Uh, we have a harness track as well as a thoroughbred track. Uh, could you explain? You know, uh, could you explain to the viewers your your connection, your interest uh, with horse racing, and what you would do for the horse racing industry as governor? I would support it because it's a it's a major industry in New York. Obviously, Saratoga is huge. I've been there for the opening day. I've been there uh, for the races. Uh, I, as I mentioned earlier, I love Saratoga Springs. Um, you may not know this. You wouldn't know this, but my my neighbor across the street is a um, as a owns Trotters at Yonkers Raceway. And my uncle, when I grew up, had um, owned horses, thoroughbred horses, and and ran them at Aqueduct and Belmont. Uh, one of them, <laughs> the name was Noble Run, and I think it's still running because it was such as we used to say, "What a pig of a horse." <laughs> Never won a thing. Uh, but horse racing is in our blood and our family as well. It's a major industry in New York. It should be supported. And, um, you know, obviously it means a lot to not just the racing industry, but the tourism industry. You know, you know what happens. Saratoga Springs fills up and so do the restaurants and, and hotels. Yeah. Right. And, and related to the horse racing industry are the video lottery terminals that yeah. were placed inside the Saratoga uh, Casino. And money was promised to yeah. the Springs uh, to come from the VLTs, but every year the governor, puts, yeah. whichever the governor is, puts out a budget, and that money is withdrawn from Saratoga Springs, and yeah. we have Can to I... fight and beg the legislature to to put it back in. Sorry, Robin, go ahead. No, I just want to speak to that a little more specifically. I just came off of running our public safety department, which included our fire department, police department, and so forth. The video lottery terminal money is earmarked to go to cities that have VLTs in them to help with the infrastructure yeah. and crime issues that happen when you have this wave of people who come in to gamble. And so every year when that money is on the chopping block, it means really it has a drastic impact on our ability to run our law enforcement agencies and also keep our streets and, and sidewalks you know, in decent shape. And so to go through that stress every year, it takes a tremendous toll on our city. And so, um, a lot of people have been asking us, you know, how you would address the VLT money and if there was a way moving forward to, um, you know, get rid of this uh, nervousness and, and fear every year that it's going to be taken away. Yeah, that was a promise that the state made uh, with the licensing. And again, I'll come local to where I am, Yonkers Raceway. The VLTs are extraordinarily important to the city of Yonkers for just the reasons you mentioned, public safety. Uh, they're bearing the burden, even though this is a good thing. They are bearing the burden of some of this with traffic and um, issues related to the track and to and to gambling. So, you know, that's one of the things that bothers me. The state makes their promises and then they they take them away pretty quickly. And you think about it when there's an insatiable appetite to spend, which they have been doing. They are always looking for the big money and for the coins under the couch. And that's what they do. They'll go after your little money there, which relatively speaking to the state is, is little, but it obviously means a lot um, to a local government. Would yeah. you commit as governor to maintaining the VLT monies that are coming into Saratoga Springs now? Yeah, no, I do believe that is a covenant that was between the host communities and the state. One other question, which you probably aren't aware, I don't know why you would be aware of this, but it's one of the things we're struggling with as a city, with the state in particular and the county. Um, we have had the bars here in Saratoga are open until 4 a.m. And it's probably the only place outside of New York City in all of the state where you can drink until four in the morning. 
In the last two summers, we've seen a dramatic increase in crime and arrests and violent crime and guns specifically um, from the hours of about 1.30 in the morning to 3.30 in the morning. And so as a municipality, we voted to shut the bars down at 2 a.m. We aren't able to do that, however, unless we get the approval of the county and the SLA. And the county has no interest. Uh, the state has no interest. The governor has nobody has any interest in our little problem here. But as residents across the board, people would like to see this happen. Um, is there anything, you know, as governor that you could do or support to help, you know, a municipality like this one struggling with such a fundamental public safety issue uh, to facilitate that? Um, or do you have any thoughts on it in general, I guess? Again, you go back to the VLT money, that money is used for public safety, right? So you would have cops posted uh, along the area uh, where there might be some problems. You deal with the small businesses like the bars who obviously want to stay open later because it's revenue for them. And, I, and you know, during the pandemic, pandemic alone, these restaurants and bars were just destroyed. Um, right. Way too many of them were completely and utterly wiped out by, you know, the, the edicts of the governor. So um, it is a balance. It is tough at times. Um, and I, you know, just generally speaking, I would 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 defer to the local municipalities on what they prefer. Um, but I also it's tough for businesses to to lose that. Right. But I do remember an old saying, nothing really good happens after midnight. <laughs> you know, and it's true. And, you know, yeah. I, I suppose that the need to close at 2 a.m. would be offset if we had more funding for our police department and law enforcement. You know, perhaps that could be a solution because uh, it, it does. We're only talking about probably one or two bars that are actually doing yeah. business between the hours of 2 and 4 a.m. But um, I know we, we probably have to wrap here. Dan, do, yeah. you, have, do you have anything else to ask? Uh, Mr. Asherino, I, I just want to um, tell you that we did invite your three opponents on. Uh, there seemed to be some trepidation in dealing with us. I think we were an unknown to them. You came on. You, you, you and your yeah. team uh, responded. I, I want to thank you for that. Um, uh, and I, I wish you the best of luck and, and thank you for coming uh, on our on our podcast and, and talking about issues important to the state and, and Saratogians. So I, I mentioned, and we also invited Democrats as well. And uh, again, I think they we're, we're the element of the unknown and they, uh, we got through to them. It wasn't like they were lost and uh, <laughs> you're the only one. So I, I give you credit uh, for, for not being afraid to come out and talk to us. He's no. got the spine. He's got that spine. Part. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, we really do appreciate it. And we, we uh, believe deeply in a space where we can have conversations and disagree, but do so respectfully and productively. And it, it seems like that's the approach that you've taken. And so um, we're really grateful that you came on today and wish you the best of luck um, come the 28th. Republicans, go Great. vote on the 28th. Good luck. Good yes, luck Robert Dan, yeah. thank you so much for inviting me. I appreciate it. Enjoy the weekend and, and uh, can't wait for the uh, track to open. Excellent. Team here. Thanks so much. Okay. Bye-bye.